Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulet Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. This is Juan Thula, and joining me now is the other half of the Boulet Brothers, Jack Morda. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our show. <laughs> well, thank you for welcoming me to my own show. <laughs> you are so welcome. <laughs> so, very exciting news just released. Very exciting. I've been waiting for this for a very long time. The cast of the Blade Brothers Dragula season four is now out there for all to see. We have performers from everywhere, including from Seoul, South Korea, Mexico City, and all over the U.S. joining our cast of monsters to compete for the title of Dragula and the $100,000 cash prize. Ooh, very exciting. So good. Let's talk about this cast for a few minutes because we've had to have such tight lips about this list. Right. And now that it's out in the public, we can relish and just talk about it. So I want to. I am so excited about this cast. They were so great to work with. They did so well on the show. I love them. I can't stop singing their praises, honestly. I think they brought so much drama and reality mm -hmm. and artistic talent to the show and skill and just everything. Yeah, it's not just the drag because... The fourth season of the show will be packed with amazing drag from all types of drag performers, too. I mean, everything from like AFAB performers, high femme AFAB performers, which for those of you yeah. that don't know, this is assigned female at birth. So we have women competing in drag and they are presenting in a high femme sort of way. To quote Sigourney, she's a female impersonator, impersonator. impersonator. Right. So it's like lady on steroids, which I love. And right. it's such a fun thing that I don't think the world has seen enough of. No, and that goes back to, you know, our first days of doing parties, right? We always oh, yeah. had performers like this. We had like Hud C. Han used to perform with mm -hmm. us all the time. Ali Doom. Ali Doom would perform with us as well. And there's Diamondback Ann too. I mean, there's right. a list of female performers that have been on stage with us and sharing a drag stage going back as far as our career goes back. I have never understood the idea 
of cis male drag performers gatekeeping women drag performers out of the space because I'm like, so you want to dress up like a woman, but then you want to tell a woman that they don't have a place in your area. I mean, it makes no sense. It's it so crazy, ridiculous. But we're here to like kick the doors down and like bust open the gate. So yeah, I think that's I what mean, we I'm do like, best. I always think of drag and nightlife and performance spaces as like a Rocky horror movie, right? It's like mm. a mix of everything. Everyone's invited. Everyone's free to do what they want. Like the whole idea of nightlife to me is to create a temple where people can express themselves freely and party and be debauched. And, and just, escape their normal lives. Right. Like once they cross the threshold, it's a fantasy and so, everyone's invited to the fantasy. Right. Why do you, you know, you can't create a world like that and then tell people, well, it's only for some people, you know, like that's <laughs> it's so not cute, but not into you know, that. Sigourney is one kind of star that we've added to the cast of season four. And like I was saying, kind of backing up a little bit, the drag is absolutely there, but the drama and the spirit Ooh. of just fun and craziness yeah. is like they're in spades. Like these people showed up to have a good time. The cast is so fun. They had such a good time filming. They didn't hold back. That's what I really appreciated about them. I love every season of the show, but we all know, we've talked about it before, that on season three, a lot of the competitors were afraid to speak their mind. You know, that was a right. very that socially was a sensitive yeah. cast and they wouldn't speak up. And, you know, they sure speak up now when they see us in person, right? They tell us all their feelings about the other oh, cast yeah. members. And this one sucked and this one was horrible. And I wish I had said this. I wish I had said that. Oh, right. that wasn't right. And I could have pointed it out. And I right. didn't because I was just under the pressure of the show or I was intimidated or I didn't want to be called out and all that. Yeah. And so this cast for season four did not have that fear. Like none of them did. They came in swinging. Ah. And I'm so grateful because it's kind of an extension of the season two energy, if I can say that. You know, I think we've characterized their competitors on season two as like a pit of vipers right. in the best way possible because yeah. they came in ready to strike and ready to kill. It's not that we wanted them to fight or that we want this season to fight. It's like we want them to not be afraid to make mistakes or to say what they really think. You know, that's oh, what absolutely. it's really about. It's like be yourself. And it's interesting to make it a melting pot of people from different cultural backgrounds and different areas of the world and different opinions to come together and see how they work those opinions out. Absolutely. Not by hiding it and pretending to be someone they're not. And you know? like whispering about it and then getting bitter and it comes out in different ways. Right. I've yeah. said this a million times and now it's going to be a million and one. We do not harvest and force narratives. Like people have real stories because people have real lives. We just kind of give them a platform and let them go and put them in the pressure cooker and just watch and see what happens. And it always bubbles over in very interesting, sometimes explosive and often beautiful ways. Yeah. And I've heard people say before, you know, why do these drag artists go on TV and fight each other? That's not good. That's not how it is backstage at a club. And I'm like, yeah, because backstage at a club, you're not competing for $100,000, darling. Well, honey, I guess it depends where you are, too, because we I do know. hear crazy stories about other places where it can be a little showgirls. It can uh, be a little yeah. dicey. Houston. <laughs> Louisville. <laughs> Many places. But still, to me, I'm like, that's the beauty of it, right? It's like, how do these people come together and work out their problems? The one thing I will say, it's always, to me, a beautiful story by the end. Like, they might come in one way and come out at the other side another way. And that's interesting to watch. That's real life, right? Like, people experience adversity and conflict, and then they change and adapt. Absolutely. And just to touch so on- Fuck a you people at home that don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> And just to touch on a, a few other standouts from the cast, of course, 
the winner of Dragula Resurrection, Saint has returned to the cast. And yes. I know that she's become a fan favorite because they saw her very real struggle through our Resurrection special. And it's a great example of how sometimes an artist can be featured on a reality show or in another way. And you only see them through a little keyhole. You just see them through a very specific perspective, but give them another opportunity and they shine. I was talking to Felony Dodger about this recently, you know, and the idea of competitors who come on shows like this and maybe don't make it super far. Sure. And you know how unfortunate that is. And it's something we've always said before, which is like, it's never a reflection on that drag artist skill level. It's just an unfortunate turn of circumstance, right? They don't know what challenge they're going to get first. That might not be something they're strong in, or maybe everyone else is super strong, or you just don't know, you know? Yeah. Some of it is just the luck of the draw. Right. So I thought with Resurrection, it was interesting because we were able to show these performers in a different light, not in the like competition setting of a regular season. And it just shows how different an artist can be when given a different opportunity. You know, speaking of an artist being given a different opportunity and being seen in a different light, let's talk about the addition of Jade Jolie and her inclusion in the Dragula cast because we've seen Jade on another reality show and she's been seen in a very specific way. And I think that viewers and fans of Dragula will see a very new shade of green when they look at the Jade on Dragula. Right. And the one thing I want to say that people at home don't know is this year, quite a few performers that have been on other reality shows auditioned for a spot on season four of Dragula. That's true. And some that I think people would be very surprised about. So the thing about Jade is people say, well, why Jade? You know, there's so many other people on other shows that would want to be on. We don't know Jade from Drag Race. I did not watch Drag Race. I don't watch Drag Race and I didn't watch it when she was on it. So for me, I know Jade from when we went and performed in Louisville. Yes. And she was a cast member at Play. Yes. And she really impressed me when we met her there because at Play, it's a different kind of setup. They're on a cast and they have to do like seven shows a night. It's insane. And they have to change costumes and it's crazy. It's not like in LA, you'll do one or two shows and that's it for the night. There, it's like you're hustling. You oh, know? yeah. And they do something like 36 shows a week or something. It's insane. Right. And she hosts an alternative drag show there, or she used to. And so when we came there, she did like seven or eight, like really punk looking, crazy, haunted, scary monster looks. And it was really impressive. No, absolutely. I think she absolutely earned her spot on the Dragula cast. And she's going to prove that when the episodes start airing. Yeah. And just to touch on a few other cast members, it's super diverse. We have the mother of Brooklyn drag, Miss Mary Cherry Mary is joining Cherry. cast. I'm so excited that Mary is here. Uh, Coco Kane, an unknown Zavaleta, also from Brooklyn. Astrid. Hoso's also incredible. Oh, from South Korea. Such an amazing artist with a very different perspective. Just to encapsulate the cast, and if you can't tell our level of excitement, because it's absolutely there, they are diverse. They're from all over the world, and they really show a huge representation of the dichotomy of drag. Absolutely. I I think that people are going to love them and I can't wait for the episodes to start airing so that they can meet them. We only talked about a few of the cast members because, you know, it would spoil what their journey is like on the show. So we'll save that for the future episodes. But yeah. I can't wait. This. So the next thing everyone can look forward to is the actual season trailer to come out, which has footage from the show, which I'm very excited for everybody to see. 
yeah, so that's it. Now the cast is out. The premiere date is out. Everyone can start planning their viewing parties and all that. And next will be the trailer and then the episodes themselves on October 19th. That's right. So the release date, for those of you that haven't been paying attention, is Tuesday, October 19th. And every Tuesday after that, worldwide in all English-speaking territories. And that's something I actually want to speak on that listeners could help us if they feel so inclined, is to kind of spread the message that the show is coming out at the same time worldwide everywhere. So it's not going to come out, you know, in the U.S. first and then two days later it's in the U.K. on some weird channel. And then three days later it's on Amazon and Australia. That's not happening anymore. It is going to be on Shudder in all English-speaking territories and it's coming out at the same time everywhere. So help us spread the word because so many... People ask us on social media all the time, you know, is it coming out in this country? What time does it come out? This and that. So now, you know, same time and place everywhere. And now it's time we have our co-host Ian join us. Ian, darling, welcome back to the show. Ooh, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) We've said it now, I think the past couple of episodes. I love this pantomime dance we do. Like, (laughs) welcome. Oh, she's just come in. Yeah, so good to see you. I know. I mean, it's literally, especially with the cast reveal happening, it's like there is literally not a single day that we're not just constantly working and we're in the same room watching, you know, edits of Meet Our Monsters. Like, it's kind of nonstop at this point. People always ask us, you know, why don't you put out two seasons a year? Or why don't you do a UK version? Or why don't you do this? And I'm like, they have no idea. Like, literally, (laughs) when we finally accept to do another season of the show, it's like from that moment... All the way until Mm -hmm. the finale airs, we are doing nothing but that. Totally. I mean, truly, I feel like we all have to kind of like lick our battle wounds and also like resurrect ourselves to be like a part of the new season. Like every time we get a new crop of artists for the show, I also shed my skin and become a brand new Ian for the show. I mean, there's definitely like a room full of discarded Ians. I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) No, truly. I know. It takes a lot. It takes a lot from all of us. But that's why the show and every episode of the show has a little piece of each of us in there. It does. We have our hands all over it. People you know, at home can sense that heart in the show. Yeah. How excited are you for the cast? I hate this phrase, but I'm over the fucking moon. Like, I am so excited. And even just hearing you guys talk about the way that this season is shaping up and the way that the competitors all interact, like, I have to agree. I love this cast. You Mm -hmm. know, I love a lot of the people from the show. I love a lot of the casts, but there's just something special about this group of performers. And I don't know if it's just the level of artistry that they brought or a combination of that plus the way they all kind of came to bring the drama, but it was just an enjoyable experience overall. Yeah, I was sad to see them go. Yeah, (laughs) am I feeling emotional by saying goodbye? Like, I don't often go there, but it was. It was kind of sad to realize that, like, those last couple of days being on set were the last couple of days of being on set and like soon we would be like breaking apart and like going into post-production and that kind of thing. But just kind of saying goodbye to not just the competitors because the crew was really cool this year too. Mm -hmm. Totally. There's, I mean, this is absolutely jumping the gun, but I remember when we had the full cast back together for The Last Supper, really just looking at everyone on stage and just thinking, this is a powerful group of artists. And I also just kind of love all of them. Like there's some really funny and fun shit that happens throughout the season. And I just can't wait for people to see it. Me neither. I mean, like all of them, literally every single one of them, I think are fantastic artists and they're going to get a lot of love from people at home. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of hate, but you know, that comes with the territory. Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really just can't wait for people to see the show so that we can start using our like internal memes out loud. (laughs) There's so many just amazing sound bites from some of these competitors. They're funny. Oh yeah. Are there any non-spoiler ones that you can 
predict that you think maybe will stick? I mean, I don't know if this is going to give it away, but you got me good, girl. Oh, yeah. That's definitely. I mean, get your shirts ready. Um, Grr, definitely. uh, Grr is definitely. uh, And then just kind of the, like, the standard, Jesus Christ. That that got a lot of play. Jesus Christ. I'm like, what is she saying? No one will know what it refers to, but they'll definitely know it when it happens, which is, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at myself for letting you control me. Wait, wait, I feel like there's... uh, (laughs) It's a brutal one. Oh, it's not, it's not your fault. It's my fault for letting you control me. Like, yeah. I was like, oof. <laughs> I was like, oh. If only Abora had said that to James on season two. <laughs> I mean, Abora said it to me, so. <laughs> oh, and on that note, Ian, why don't you fill us in on what's been happening in the world of Hollywood and horror this week? Even though we've already discussed the biggest news update in the worlds of drag and horror, with the cast of the Belay Brothers' Dragula Season 4 officially being announced, there are still a few newsworthy nightmares to discuss tonight, starting with something I'm a little unfamiliar with, but I thought the Belays might be able to shed a little light on. After 32 years, the original opening sequence to Halloween 5, referred to as the lost, quote, Dr. Death footage, will be seeing the light of day thanks to the upcoming 4K re-release of the first five films in the franchise. Originally cut from the theatrical release, the footage provides an explanation for the thorn tattoo and the resurrection of Michael Myers, as well as deepening the cult of thorn mythology, potentially filling in some of the gaps in Halloween 5's story. Physical copies of the re-release will be available starting on October 5th for any Halloween superfans interested in seeing the lost footage or any of the other films in the franchise in glorious 4K Ultra HD. That is very interesting. I mean, it's weird because obviously they abandoned that story, right? Completely, Um, right? Like, I mean, I saw it it. once a million years ago and I was like, huh. (laughs) I mean, I like the idea of like some kind of like druidic spirit of Halloween. Like, I like that, but it didn't really go anywhere. You know, one of the things that was really weird about Halloween 5 is, you know, Halloween 4 was a big hit. Yeah. And Danielle Harris was like the star of it. Iconic. At the end of Halloween 4, you know, they lead you to believe that she becomes the killer, right? She stabs her stepmom very similarly to how Michael Myers stabbed his sister. But then they pick up in Halloween 5 and it's like a completely different storyline and they lean into this whole druidic thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But are you talking about Halloween 6 or Halloween 5? Like I said in my little intro, I'm not 100% versed in this, but the article I read said it was Halloween 5. And I guess the actor who played Michael Myers in Halloween 5 went in depth in like 2019. He gave an interview where he was talking about how like Dr. Death basically like casts a spell on him and he like picks him up and like throws him on a rock and then stabs him with a stalactite. And he was like, and then they cut it for the theatrical release. What do you all think about the idea of over explaining the origins of these horror icons? It's almost like it doesn't matter because in 10 or 20 years or less, we'll just get a reimagining anyway. Yeah, I am of two minds. On one hand, I am a child of Wikipedia. Like, I love, like, encyclopedic mythology. I'm like, just lay it on me. But at the same time, I don't think everything needs to be, like, fully explained. Like, I like a little bit of mystery. Like, do I really need to know where, you know, someone took their first shit? Not really. But if you have that info available, I'd love to know. (laughs) That's the thing about these characters. I feel like it makes them less scary. To explain them away and to give them origins kind of ruins it. Luckily, they never really did that with Michael Myers. As they're alluding to here, they started to and then they jumped shit. Mm. I mean, speaking of Halloween, for listeners at home, the Boulez and I went to go see a movie recently and Halloween Kills was one of the trailers for it. And this is, I think, my third time seeing the trailer. And I kind of feel like I need to stop watching the trailer Mm -hmm. because every time I watch it, it just gets 
campier and campier. Mm. Like watching Laurie Strode in the back of that truck, no, let it burn. <laughs> I'm like, Jamie Lee Curtis is off her fucking meds in this movie. I won't let it turn to camp for me. I just <laughs> I, refuse. I look away. I don't want any to see no, it anymore. Me I want to go to the movies in the month of October and just be taken over by the spirit of Halloween. All right, well, listen, we could talk about Halloween all night, but we're not going to, so let's move on. Well, while the world of horror is oozing with supernatural terrors and paranormal nightmares, some of the scariest sights to keep us up at night come from the world around us, as evidenced by these two final updates. First, as anyone with the aptly named Coasterphobia will tell you, amusement parks are filled with screaming metal death traps hurtling towards the afterlife Final Destination style. Located in Fuji-Q Park, the world's fastest accelerating roller coaster, known as Dodonpa, has officially been suspended until further notice after six passengers suffered major injuries, including broken necks and spinal cord fractures this year, the first injuries in the 20-year history of the attraction. The incidents have stumped Japanese officials as no structural failures were found upon inspection. And given that Dodonpa is advertised as moving at the, quote, super death speed, maybe this roller coaster will be joining the ranks of future hauntings of history soon. Bitch, I want the super death speed <laughs> roller. I mean, that just makes me want to ride it even more. Totally. Pack your bags, girls. We're going to Japan. Uh, okay. <laughs> I could just throw you against the wall here if you want. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Moving on. Finally, spooky season must be approaching because spirit Halloween stores are popping up all around us like parasitic ghosts haunting abandoned storefronts spreading to over 1,400 new locations this year alone. The latest location for the Halloween costume and decoration chain is certainly the most glamorous, with Spirit Halloween launching a new location at 101 7th Avenue in Chelsea, New York, formerly the flagship location for Barney's, which shut down in 2020 due to the pandemic. Shoppers eager to buy their Halloween costumes or decorations in New York City can expect to find everything they need in the 50,000-square-foot luxury department store skeleton, complete with fantasy spiral staircase at the base of a 20-story ultralux condo complex. That's all I have for listeners tonight, but ladies, I think we might have to make a stop in New York. I heard this story about Barney's from New Yorkers. I read it, and they were just disgusted. They're like, (laughs) this is the last remnant. This is the last thing I need to see. Our city is dying from the inside out and turning into a suburban strip mall. What's the name of that costume shop in New York? It's like like one- 4th Street, the big one. Yeah, that was like, I remember going there when we first moved to New York and being like, wow. They had everything. And it wasn't like cheap costumey stuff. It was like good stuff. Well, some of it but was we cheap. went back there like, was it like two years ago? And I was like, she cheap. <laughs> she is she okay. really You're, cheap. It's your taste that have gotten much I more expensive so. and yeah. refined because mm-hmm. it's the same shit. It, it is. W- yeah, it is. Well, speaking of, I don't know what the name of the costume shop is in LA, but it was maybe like a couple of years ago. The three of us were like, oh, like, let's go like look at Halloween costumes and shit. And we went to this cute little hole in the wall place. And it was like, I mean, literally costumes that were like five, six years old, totally outdated, like $80 for a Power Ranger. I'm like, girl, this is not happening tonight. I think I know the one you mean. It's a woman's first name, like Adele's upstairs yeah. or something Yeah, like totally. That. Yeah. And it's like very dark and claustrophobic. And there's and like five dust. gazillion costumes, too yes. many packed in. Yeah. <laughs> that costume shop used to be good, too. All right. Well, anyways, Ian, thank you for those horrible updates as always. We're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll be discussing director Nia DaCosta's Candyman reboot. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BoulayBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BoulayBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's time we move on to one of my favorite segments of the show, the Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode's Creature Feature, we will be discussing the newest iteration of Candyman, out now in theaters. The new film picks up 30 years after the original film and ignores the previous sequels, much like the new Halloween has done. It picks up in present day, a decade after the last of the Cabrini Green Towers were torn down, where Anthony, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen, second and his partner move into a loft in the now gentrified Cabrini. Anthony quickly learns the story behind the Candyman legend, unraveling both his past and his sanity as things descend into a terrifying wave of grisly violence. Before we get into the review, I do want to warn everybody that there will be spoilers. So if you want to see the movie without knowing everything that happens in it, please skip ahead now. And I would also like to point out that Nia DaCosta has become the first black female director to have a film debut in the top spot in the U.S. box office with this film. According to Box Office Mojo, the new Candyman made over $22 million over the weekend. I'm impressed. Yes. I love to see it. All right, so let's start out by discussing what you all thought in general. Like, did you enjoy the movie? I loved the new Candyman. I thought it was super fun. I didn't think it was really scary necessarily, but I thought it was like a really great slasher movie that cleaned up what I consider a kind of a messy original. Like, I saw Candyman way back in the day, and when I think about it, I'm kind of like, that story is a little sloppy. And I think this iteration really cleaned up all those weird little rough edges and made a really, really fun ride. I'm going to have to say, full disclosure, I have not seen the original Candyman. So I came into 2021's Candyman with fresh eyes and I loved it. I feel like it has kind of all the elements of a movie that I typically wouldn't love, but I just kind of found myself sitting there just like looking at the screen, just enjoying what was happening. And I'm definitely going to agree with you. It's really not scary at all. Yeah. The violence and really the racial violence is hard to look at, but there are not really any scares in the movie. Right. I would agree with that. I do think it was fun that they played with the nostalgia of it. I'm very into that. I like that they went back and tried to explain the history of the first movie mm-hmm. and what happened in it. They also skipped all the sequels, as you mentioned earlier, Yeah, like Halloween has done and a lot of movies are doing nowadays. I don't know how much I love that because, I mean, these films did exist, right? Sure. And I feel like there's a way that you could sort of tie them all together. They chose not to do that. That's fine. I was team Candyman until the last part of the movie the end yeah i felt like when they really started getting into the explanations of everything i was like this is too much (laughs) like for me it was too much like we talked about earlier i felt like it took the scare out of it right because now there's all these explanations and it's someone that's relatable Candyman becomes almost like an anti-hero who's out for justice as opposed to someone you're afraid of. Mm. I agree, but it's also this force of almost like chaos because in the closing scene, like Anthony's wife kind of summons Candyman to Mm -hmm. kill others, not 
kill her. Because we all know the legend. It's like you say the name Candyman five times in the mirror and he appears and kills you. Mm. And then, you know, that kind of like broke that there. And it's like, oh, okay, wow. So it, maybe it'll go this way. Maybe it'll go that way. And now we've learned through this iteration of Candyman that Candyman like re-manifests throughout history going all the way back to the original, which was the Tony Todd story of like that very refined French painter. And I think that's cool because it invites an endless re-manifestation into the future. It's like this force that can be brought through different people over and over and over again. I completely agree with you. And I feel that 100%. I have kind of a totally different reading of the ending of the movie, but I will say it definitely goes off the rails 100%. Like I can't really look at the last maybe like 15, 20 minutes and say, this all makes sense because it doesn't. (laughs) And that's kind of the thing that I actually love about it, which like I said, this has all the hallmarks of a movie I wouldn't like. But at a certain point, I was kind of like, okay, great. We're in this church. Oh, you're cutting her hand off. Oh, shove that hook in her. And then like she's summoning Candyman, murdering cops. I was like, girl, get the popcorn. I am into it. (laughs) Okay. So do you guys think it was successful as an addition to the franchise? I think the quick answer is yes, because it sort of skipped all of the sequels. And is that like a sticking point for you, Drac? No, it's not. And I also think that because of how successful it was, it will probably inspire more iterations. So the legend of Candyman will continue, right? And I think we need a black horror icon. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, Absolutely. that's something that's been needed for a long time. And, you know, I feel like people have been robbed of. So hopefully Candyman, even though this iteration was a little confusing at the end, the success of the movie will inspire other people to come in and contribute their creative juices to it. And who knows what will happen to the legend. No, and it's such a cool character too. There's so much to it. Like we know Freddy has all of the things that make Freddy, Freddy, the sweater, the hat, the glove, the burns. And Candyman has no shortage of all of those mm-hmm. indicators, all of those like signature things that make Candyman Candyman. That's something we talked about actually after we watched yeah. the movie because we were like, okay, well, like why all this weird shit? Like he has a trench coat <laughs> and he has like they smeared bee wax on it. You're no, like, wait a minute. This is it's like honey. One, yeah. Yeah. But there's bees and a hook and mm-hmm. there's like, you know, he's burned at the end and it is kind of a lot, but it's but, still kind of cool. And that's the thing, right? We were like, well, that's weird that doesn't make any sense but then like you said you're like well like does freddy's red sweater make any sense not really you know well it's almost kind of like this movie is coming out obviously in 2021 and i don't really think that we've had any new slashers kind of come forward or maybe the only one i can think of in recent history is like the creeper from jeepers creepers which Mm -hmm. you know that series didn't really go terrifier i mean who you want to talk she has a sequel coming and i'm very excited (laughs) um but you know like the original Candyman came out and we were still kind of building this pantheon of slashers and it was almost kind of like okay what is iconographically this slasher? And, you know, for Freddy, you could start anywhere. You start with the claws, with the hat, with the sweater. So with Candyman, I think they kind of tried to create a similar visual mythos with him. Like, the hook to me is the best part. Like, it's... For sure. You know, and I, the Tony Todd hook looks great, but, God, the way they do it in the Nia Costa version, it's so vicious looking. Like, yeah. there really are times where I'm like... That's grisly. Uh, Let's just talk about the kills for two seconds because the kills were awesome. Ian, I think you said it because we saw this all together at the theater. When we left, we're like, this is a great slasher. Like people are dying left and right in grisly, bloody, really fun (laughs) ways. The kind of deaths that make you laugh. And I really enjoyed it almost the whole time. But the best, the best for me was the death of the art credit. Yes! Y'all love that. No, I did. Oh my God. And for everyone out there, you're welcome because just keep your eyes peeled. The bitch dies and it is glorious. What do you, this is a weird thing, but I I, I did want to ask it. The lead is really attractive. Ooh, girl. She is. He's like super hot. So how are you supposed to be scared of him? 
You know what I'm saying? Like that, I'm like, people are probably at home like, Candyman, Candyman, come on. Like, what is happening? You know, they're like trying to summon him. Oh, totally. I Does mean, that take away from it for you? Definitely doesn't take away from it. But I will say after the movie, I was like, oh, God, I hope Candyman, Candyman, Candyman doesn't, who doesn't come and get me tonight wearing those hot little boxers? Oh, they did show him in his underwear. Like, yeah. oh, she, okay, listen, for any, any like male panty lovers out there, she is wearing this set of like high-waisted, like, athletic shorts i was like girl this is for the gays I don't know, for real totally. she was like shredded too at the perfect body very gratuitous so let's talk about yaya abdul mateen the seconds a portrayal of anthony and spoiler alert his transformation into Candyman because yes. he was incredible i bought his acting 100 hook line and sinker like i was like this guy's hook. going crazy exactly <laughs> hello you're not yeah. the only one that can make puns <laughs> darling no <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I, I I bought it. Like, I was like, this guy's losing it. He's becoming the killer. Like, totally bought it. Yeah, I felt like he was amazing. And really, who I couldn't take my eyes off of was the actor who plays Brianna, his partner. Her name is Tayana Paris. I was like, I love her. I love her performance. And she was so beautiful. I just couldn't look away. Vanessa Williams comes back as the mother. And she only has a few lines. But girl, I mean, she is acting. Yeah, Incredible. For sure. Incredible. Like, a huge gravitational pull. Oh, like yeah. I was brought right into her character. She's only in one scene, mm-hmm. but that character, Vanessa Williams played Anne-Marie McCoy in the original. And mm-hmm. then she played Anne-Marie McCoy again in this iteration of Candyman, both times being Anthony's mother. So it was kind of cool to see her brought back. Yeah. And something that I'm actually thinking about now and when I was kind of researching is I didn't really put together the fact that the lead's name is Anthony McCoy and his mother is Anne-Marie McCoy which connects obviously to Ruthie Mae McCoy, which the murders are based on from Cabrini Green, which we've covered on the podcast. In episode two, Mirror Mirror on the Wall. Ooh, (laughs) and that was one of the things, you know, Drac, when you asked, like, do you think this is a successful addition to the franchise? Like I said, I haven't seen the others, but I do think it's a successful addition to the mythos of Cabrini Green and kind of just the entire mythology overall. Like, you know, the opening scene where, you know, you're looking into the mirror and then you see the hole in the wall and then he emerges from the hole in the wall. It's like, oh my God, what a brilliant callback to, you know, the original murders where people were hiding in the walls and things like that. And that to me was actually probably the scariest part. That's another homage to the original because Candyman in the original, Tony Todd's Candyman, was using the space between the walls to move through Cabrini Green. Well, that's like the original, the story it's based off of that you did the Haunting of History on. I do think we should discuss one thing, which is I'm reading a lot of reviews from black reviewers who feel like, okay, this is another story about black grief. Like why Mm -hmm. is this happening again? You know, where we've done us and them and her and that one over there. Of course, get out. And yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that we are still having to rely on these sorts of narratives to, I think, entice or maybe to just kind of educate white viewers specifically about the pain of black people. I really do hope that we can move into a space where we have black and also queer protagonists for horror movies where the narrative doesn't have to 100% center around the pain of the black experience or the queer experience. Yeah, because on the surface, you're like, oh, this is great. This is a film created by black people with black leads and black storylines, right? So you're like, this is great. But it is based on that, you know, that pain and that sort of history that it's like, I don't know, is it great? to remind people about that or is it sort of exploitive? I don't know if exploitive is the right word and I'm not even sure that I have the space to talk on this subject, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, that that isn't my experience. The only thing that I can relate to is that I'm 
part of a group that's, you know, gets the raw end of like bigotry and hate too for just who I am. And that's the only shared DNA I might mm-hmm. have with someone who like has lived the black experience and all the pain that goes with it. But I just say, you know what, that story is going to be told enough times until it's enough. And right. maybe people mm-hmm. just need to continue to learn that and accept it. And it becomes part of the fabric of our culture. And then we can let it go and tell stories maybe that are just about black people and their blackness do- isn't central to who they are or queer people and their queerness isn't central or, a- right. or Asian people or whatever mm-hmm. the minority group might be. Yeah. Heavy. Heavy stuff. Candyman was okay, though. Let's say that. No, I, <laughs> I loved it. And we'll leave it at this. Like, I think we've given listeners a really great kind of rounded view of like what they can expect when they go to see the newest Candyman. Brace yourselves, ladies, because Tony Todd makes a cameo at the end, and it is very gratuitous. Yes. So what would you say? You like the movie? I would see it again. You? Yeah, same. I would see it again. I agree. I would see it again as well. And I'm excited to see what they do with it next. Well, for those of you who want to check out the new Candyman, you can see it right now playing in theaters everywhere. The end is not good, but watch it anyway. We're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll be answering listener questions and digging into this episode's haunting of history. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Kim. And this is Ketrin from Kim and Kat's Stay Alive, Maybe. And Kim and Kat's Survive the Cellar. And we're here to tell you about Howling Village, available now from Dread. From the visionary director of The Grudge and The Grudge 2 comes Howling Village, where, after her brother goes missing, a young psychologist visits an infamous haunted and cursed location known as Howling Village to investigate his disappearance and uncover her family's dark history. Howling Village will be available on demand everywhere and on Blu-ray September 14th. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to answer some of our listener questions. Ian, would you please do the honors? I would love to. Juan writes, On the Dark Harvest podcast episode, Swan brought up that there are, quote, celebration Marthas, and that she would explain it on another episode. She never has, and I want to know what that is. Oh, this is so funny. Okay, first of all, you should understand that celebration Marthas, also known as holiday Marthas, are only one breed of Martha, and there are many. (laughs) You have rules Marthas, safety Marthas, craft Marthas, and the list goes on. Celebration Marthas, we all know them, are usually a little bit older. They come in many sizes. They usually have a very doily sort of like bad fashion, and they overindulge in all things holiday. Her everyday outfits start to match the season. Every corner of her house is decorated beyond belief, and you can often spot them at Hobby Lobby's, Michaels, Joanne Fabrics across the country fighting over coupons and discounts, but they shouldn't be confused with coupon Marthas because that's completely different. But aren't oh, they mean wow. too? Because that's the thing, right? They throw you off because they're celebration Martha, mm-hmm. so you think they're happy and they're celebrating, but they're not. They're like super bitchy. Well, at least from my own experience, I feel like celebration Marthas, the thing that people don't realize is there's like a really intense level of like neurosis behind them. Cause it's like, you know, to throw a, like a home holiday party. Oh girl, the amount of planning girl, get ready. Like high blood pressure. Oh, stress. Yeah. Absolutely. But aren't they usually conservative too? 
I think so. I think so. I think that's that's the Martha part Christian of the Martha. celebration. That's a Christian Martha. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I feel like Christian Martha is like, you know, when you go to someone's house and they have like 500,000 crucifixes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a reason that you, oh. why are you thinking about this all the time? Oh, they're praying for everybody, but the one they're praying for the most is themselves. Yeah, I'm like, there's something that you've done that you feel horrible about because you, why are you so obsessed with <laughs> repenting? I, listen, I don't know if it's something horrible that they've done, but it's every DL top that's about to do something horrible to me with those crucifixes. What? That, Holy you know, shit. She always takes it somewhere <laughs> crazy. But I do want to say there's a lot of cross-referencing here. There's a lot of concentric circles that True. overlap. Like I a see. coupon Martha can absolutely and most likely is a craft Martha. Mm-hmm. And a craft Martha can be a celebration Martha. You know, all this and goes you together. two are safety Marthas. That's kind of, right? it is it's true. true. The safety yeah. Martha, basically every time you want to do something fun, they try to stop it. Every well, time you want to do something fun on your TV show, they come in and stop it. Well, That's love. what a safety when, Martha is. When we're driving across the country, breaking into cemeteries and doing all kinds Shit, of illegal don't say shit. That. You're full of bullshit tonight. What's next, Dean? <laughs> Justin asks, between Ian, Drac, and Swan, which characters would you all be in the Rocky Horror Picture Show? I think we all know that Israel would be Rocky. I guess Israel would be the Rocky. True. Unless he's in a bad mood, then he's like the meatloaf that busts out for revenge and we have to kill him. <laughs> like <laughs> over moody. and over, like endlessly. I mean, my <laughs> first answer is like, I think collectively we're kind of like Frankenfurter. I definitely feel like a Frankenfurter. Sometimes you're a little Nell to me, but no, I have. A, I definitely, I definitely have a little Colombian. When you're DNA. in a good mood, you're <laughs> like when I'm dancing it onto set and I'm like tapping across the runway. <laughs> I have always felt like a Frankenfurter in my life, for real. Like literally, from like the first time I saw the movie, I was like, "That's me." And I said, "You saw the straight guy." Hey, when I first saw. Rocky Horror, I was like, I am the Frankenfurter. I'm yeah. wearing the costume and the tights and I live in the castle and I'm not like anybody else. I mean, I like Magenta too. So there's that. And you don't know what she's really like because she was posing as the maid, right? So yeah. then at the end when she's in her power and her outfit standing <laughs> there, who knows? Maybe she'd be really cool. How about you? I feel like my role on the Rocky Horror Picture Show cast kind of changes, honestly, depending on who you both are. Because yeah. if you guys are the collective Dr. Frankenfurter, then I would kind of see myself as like some sort of strange riffraff slash magenta. Yeah. Um, but if the roles are kind of changed, I kind of see myself as the Janet, honestly. <laughs> like, I know that she yes, sucks. But love like, for Janet. I love Janet. She's like, secretly a pervert too, oh, right? She's into oh, yeah. it. That's the thing. Okay, so like, I don't remember what the fucking name of the song is. Oh, it's Touch a Touch a Touch Me. Yeah. Like that scene, like seeing that as a kid, I was like, big ass mood, mama. <laughs> <laughs> like done me. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, maybe we'll re-release our digital drag show because we did like a Boulay Brothers horror picture show. Right. Digital show where we played some of those characters mm-hmm. and it was really fun. Sure was. Oh, I mean, speaking of Rocky Horror Picture Show, you guys did an homage to my like pinnacle favorite moment of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which for a lot of people, it's a total throwaway. So they'll be like, what the fuck? But when they're all having dinner, Dr. Frankenfurter takes the turkey carver and is carving it and then just threatens someone next to him. And that scene always cracks me up. It's like, I have to pause it. I have to rewind it. Like something about it just makes me fucking laugh. You know, I can literally sing that entire movie from start to finish. Oh, I've heard it 150 times. It's true. There's also Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow cast Marthas. Um, (laughs) A a, a rare breed. (laughs) Aaron writes, 
After hearing a short snippet of your opinions on Chopping Mall in episode 18 with Barbara Crampton, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on more 80s campy horror films. Do you have a favorite? I mean, a few. Uh, There's so many, right? Like, there's so many great campy horror movies from the 80s. I think our collective favorites, at least me and Drac, is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm, That's a great one. Like, super awesome. And Universal Horror Nights a few years ago had a Killer Clowns maze, and it was incredible. So good. It was, like, really good. Yeah, but that's the kind of, like, goofy, crazy script that somehow got funded in the 80s, and you're like, (laughs) where is this fucking movie going? Because it's so crazy and outlandish. And there's so many fun movies like that from the 80s. Like, even Ghostbusters or gremlins they're oh, yeah. horror but they're fun we recently had a gremlins rewatch yeah. and gremlins mm-hmm. is so good it is then they tried to do gremlins too not so good gremlins 2 was terrible it was like exactly the same <laughs> movie it was like gremlins in the city not cute but we were flying to the east coast to film our cameo on the last drive-in with joe bob briggs and i was like what am i gonna watch and i watched goonies and i love the fucking yeah, goonies. goonies and i would say it's a horror too. movie yeah yeah definitely has some horror dna a lot of horror light in the 80s just fun totally goonies actually scared me so bad as a kid i cannot rewatch it now was like, it mama tortelli no it was uh what is his name the lars is lars yeah, yeah lars freaked me out as a kid I couldn't watch it I can't go back and like now I'm like oh god I like hook up with guys like that so I don't know it's weird there's something weird there see I knew I was like a, a little freak because Lars didn't scare me but Mama Tortelli sure did <laughs> oh my god Jack do you have any campy 80s classics that you love oh god I mean we always argue about Terror Train I love Terror Train um, I'm trying to think of, oh Prom Night 2 is a personal favorite of mine nice. I love Prom Night 2 god there's so many I just can't think of them right now off the bat Sean asks I've been wondering, since you mentioned it a while back, did you ever find a candle that smells like campfire? No, I did not. And I was very disappointed because we got sent many candles from many different companies and none of them smells like an actual campfire. And so I think we're going to make our own. I am talking to a candle company right now, trying out samples, looking at jars and labels, and we will be releasing our very own Harvest candle come Halloween time. So stay tuned. Well, that's all the time we have for listener questions this week. But please be sure to email us your questions to creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com to have them answered on air and in the next episode. We'd love to hear from you. Now, It's time to change the mood a little and bring down the lights as we prepare for this episode's haunting of history. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life, documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. For many, Halloween is a time to celebrate excess, horror, and all things dark, spooky, and fun. But what Halloween masqueraders may not realize is that in the early 1970s and well into the next decade, the media, politicians, and police officials all over the country began to tell a new kind of Halloween horror story about poison candy. On October 28, 1970, An op-ed was printed in the New York Times suggesting the possibility of strangers using Halloween's trick-or-treat tradition to poison children. After all, there were multiple cases cited from upstate New York where children were the victims of tampered-with Halloween candy. 
In the same year, five-year-old Kevin Tostin of Detroit was found dead on Halloween night as a result of heroin consumption, and traces of heroin were found all throughout the candy in his trick-or-treat bag. Police and parents were starting to worry and react. In 1974, the tragic case of Timothy O'Brien surfaced where eight-year-old Timothy was out trick-or-treating in his neighborhood of Deer Park, Texas, a suburb of Houston, and along the way picked up pixie sticks laced with potassium cyanide. He unknowingly ate the treat and died as a result, also on Halloween night. Church groups and politicians started to speak out against the tradition and the Halloween holiday. There were enough cases being noticed, and by 1975, even Newsweek was writing articles about poison trick-or-treat candy. By the early to mid-1980s, hospitals were offering x-rays for any parent who wanted to bring their child's candy in. Parent-teacher associations were encouraging fall festivals instead of Halloween. In 1982, some communities, like on Long Island, tried to ban trick-or-treating by giving prizes to children who stayed home altogether for Halloween. The same year, the governor of Connecticut canceled all annual celebrations in the state's capital. All of this reaction provides some evidence that the idea of children being poisoned by their holiday candy had seeped into American culture and had become part of the fabric of Halloween. But were all the stories true? Historians now credit the social upheaval of the 1970s with abuse of power and the ultimate resignation of the American president, Richard Nixon, the great losses during the Vietnam War, and soaring inflation and puttering economic growth of the era as the main ingredient driving social fears like poison candy. It's much easier to subscribe to a dark fantasy like this one than face the grim realities of the time. Sociologist Joel Best from the University of Delaware dubbed the entire idea of poison candy an urban legend. No actual events explain the fear. It was driven by social and cultural anxieties. And there's a lesson in that about the power of rumors on a day of dark fantasy like Halloween. Returning to the cases that helped fuel the entire poisoned Halloween candy hysteria, it turns out that the cases in upstate New York were never substantiated. An investigation into the death of little Kevin Tostin revealed that the deadly dose of heroin that killed him didn't come from his Halloween spoils. It came from his uncle Henry Coleman's stash. His relatives then sprinkled his Halloween candy with heroin to make it look like he was poisoned by a stranger. Likewise, Timothy O'Brien wasn't poisoned by a stranger. He was murdered by his own father for insurance money. The tragic truth came out in court as his dad stood trial for capital murder. He was dubbed the Candyman Killer and actually used the hysteria of years of urban myth around poison candy and razor blades and candy apples as part of his defense. He was convicted of the murder and executed by lethal injection in 1984. Folklorists, scholars, and law enforcement experts say that the story that strangers put poison in candy and give that candy to trick-or-treating children has been thoroughly debunked. Furthermore, it is very interesting to consider the number of proven cases where children actually had been the victims of poisoned or tampered with candy that caused bodily harm or death. That number is zero. Thank you for joining us for another terrifying episode of the Belay Brothers Creatures of the Night. 
Until next time, be sure to follow us on our social media channels for up-to-date announcements on all of our projects, including the Belay Brothers Dracula and the upcoming Halloween season. The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulay Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre.